It's Seacoast Real Talk with John Rice. Exploring Southern Maine and New Hampshire Seacoast real estate and real life. He's the recognized expert of the Seacoast market with the kind of insight that only comes with 47 years of experience. From Tate & Foss, Sotheby's International Realty in Rye, New Hampshire, it's John Rice. Hello. Hello, John. We're back. Episode two. And we have a special guest with us today. He works with you at Tate & Foss, and his name is Sean Fellows. Sean, say hello and tell us a little bit about you. I've known John now for a little over a year and, uh, you know, really enjoy everything that he brings to the table as far as the <laughs> statistical analysis of the real estate market. Uh, you know, as my past career, I was a golf professional locally. Uh, I know a lot of the same folks that uh, John knows and a lot of the other realtors in the office know. So I just thought it was a good good time to transition into a new career. And uh, it's been great so far. Really loving the Tate & Foss family and the Sotheby's International Realty family as well. Today's episode, we're going to talk about the 13 sample Seacoast towns and beyond, actually. We're going to talk about the Tate & Foss Seacoast Market Watch and a market update and analysis. We're going to talk about the story that John did with the Portsmouth Herald on affordability. We're also going to have a spotlight on Kittery Point, Maine, and Newcastle, New Hampshire. And then I also want a fun fact about John, which are plenty. And Sean, I need a fun. <laughs> I want a fun fact about you. Mm-hmm. And then I want a fun fact about what the world doesn't know about New Hampshire seacoast and southern Maine. So with that, John, I'm going to have you discuss the Tate and Foss Seacoast Market Watch. In looking at Market Watch at Tate and Foss, we came up with some key observations to boil it all down. These are the observations that we thought might happen in 2022. We predicted that inventory shortages will continue to be the elephant in the room, and they have. Already in January, we had the lowest inventory for January ever in the 13 sample Cinco's towns for both single family and condominiums. Property searches are going to take longer. I know that I've been working with some clients. I'm going into my third year with some of them. Unfortunately, they've stuck around. You know, you have to have patience and you have to have perseverance in this market. So we, we think bidding wars are going to become more fierce. Cash is, is king. Brokers and buyers are going to become more creative to achieve success, we think, to get people to the top of the line. We've been talking about projected mortgage rate increases and how that would affect buyers. And originally, we thought there would be three. Now they're talking as many as five. I think if they go for more than a point, then definitely you're going to have some issues. But less than that, I think we might be able to finesse that and they may not see any immediate impacts. Uh, For those of you listening to the podcast and bidding on property and waiting for me to come up with the uh, magic, uh, or Sean, to come up with a magic formula as to how high you should bid over ask to win the bidding war. We've tried it. We've gone six ways to Sunday to try to figure out what that formula might be. At the end of the day, there is no formula for success. It's almost like gut. How high do you, how brave do you feel when you're bidding on something that you really want? At the same time, I think you need to be uh, keenly aware of uh, how a property comps out, what its, what its true value is. But just because you know what the true value is from a market analysis standpoint doesn't mean that that's where you want to be bidding, obviously, because it, it won't happen in, in, this, in this environment. Luxury real estate around here, we've always thought that luxury real estate was over a million dollars. 
now we're we're saying that we wouldn't define a, a property as a luxury sale unless it's over two million. The median price of a single family home in the thirteen sample seacoast towns was right around six twenty nine uh, in the thirteen towns, and we think that's going to approach about six seventy five this year. We think there's going to be a continued strong demand for high end property, and that we're going to see property sell around here for more than $6 million, which that happens all over the USA, but it hasn't happened in New Hampshire in modern history. It happened in southern Maine this past year. There was a $7 million plus sale in Kennebunkport. But here, uh, we're still under six in terms of the highest sale that we've seen. As a matter of fact, talking about strong demand for high-end property in we had uh, record low single-family sales for January in the 13 sample Seacoast towns, and yet uh, we had million-dollar we had the best month for million-dollar sales in January ever, and the same for um, condominiums. Sean, anything that I said or missed there? Yeah, what's it like for you? Tell us that you're younger, uh, <laughs> getting you're newer to all of this. What's your day to day like, or any interesting stories of helping people find a home at this point? Yeah, so I mean, you know, getting into real estate in 2021, it was pretty fascinating. You had to learn very quickly because things happened so fast. I mean, I had a listing, it went live, and I had an offer on the table, sight unseen, by that afternoon. So, you know, learning at that pace last year definitely prepared me going forward in 2022. And just to kind of echo what John has said, having buyers that stick with you, you know, I've had buyers submit offers on homes and what, you know, was seemingly a very strong offer sometimes doesn't even come come close to the top of the pile. I mean, it's, it's pretty fascinating when you're thinking that you're putting in a very competitive offer and it's not close and it's just the sad yeah. reality. I mean, you've, you've got a home in Rye last month. Right. It had right. a dozen offers on it. Again, it comes down to that lack of inventory that we have and right that, now. Are you referring to that? Well, there's a number of ones you could refer to. Uh, there was one sale uh, in Rye last month that the property was on the market for 1.9. There were like 15 offers on it or something like that. It ended up going under agreement and closing in two weeks for 3.2. So cash so, is king. I was not a part of that one, no. <laughs> <laughs> and neither was I, but... <laughs> Uh, it, that proves my point, though, is how how are you, cash is not only king, but how how do you predict something like that? How do you how do you coach a buyer to okay, this you got to go a million dollars over this two million dollar property to get the sale? Um, I I would never coach a buyer to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, it just it would put you in an uncomfortable situation if you're, you're right if you're right. advising them that way with the comps that you've pulled, right? Yeah, right. It, it's right. tough to justify that. We're talking about affordability. You were able to talk to the Portsmouth Herald a couple of weeks ago about affordability. What did they want to know from you? Well, they originally, when they're doing this, they they uh, were predicting that the median or estimating that the median income in the seacoast is between ninety-eight and one hundred and eight thousand dollars. And given that median income, where could a buyer go around here, and and how much house could they afford? I work with one lender. And we came up with a range of 350 to 450, but there are so many different variables that go into qualifying for a property. And so later we tempered that to say that the ceiling in that income would be something like 380. And we found there were 15 towns in the area where the medians were under 400,000. 
We included Hampton, Exeter, Barrington, and in Maine, Wells and Elliott were under 400. And then um, towns with medians that were less than that, uh, well, actually 380 and below, included the Berwicks in Maine, North and South Berwick and Berwick, Maine. They were all under um, 380. But, you know, having said that, though, we find 15 towns that are out there and around Portsmouth. Some of them are rather far afield. So you're kind of losing the flavor of living on on the seacoast. I mean, moving over towards uh, like Candy and Raymond, for example, or Derry. These are not really seacoast towns. They're New Hampshire towns, but not seacoast towns. So you're losing that flavor or like Kingston, Farmington, New Durham and Sandown. So there's there's that issue of um, going far afield. And so I'll leave it there. Sean, you ever want to jump in? Um, um, I mean, as far as affordability goes, it's even at those price points, you're still seeing that multiple offer situation and incredible demand just because there's so few available at that price point. So even if you are looking there, again, what are you doing to get yours to the top of the pile? Then you have to worry right. about appraisals coming back in. I mean, it's still incredibly tough to get a home at the affordable price point. Right. You know, having identified some towns in Maine where that are coming in as affordable, the last time I looked uh, for active listings in your county, in your county, which covers a lot of territory, that were under 380, there were only three active listings that I could come up with. That's crazy. So you're absolutely right, Sean. I mean, if something comes on, it's a free-for-all. And uh, particularly in that in that price range, yeah, you know, take a number and, and then look out at, at the, in the, during the bidding wars. It sounds like a prison yard fight, if you ask me. It's not, it's not. <laughs> it's hard. It doesn't sound yeah. fun. We wanted to spotlight a couple of different places. So Kittery Point, Maine and Newcastle, New Hampshire. A lot of similarities and some differences. Talk about that a little bit. They tend to go hand in glove, even though uh, one is in Maine and one is in New Hampshire. And I think it bears repeating what the 13 sample seacoast towns are. And they are Exeter, Greenland, Hampton, Hampton Falls, Newcastle, Newfields, Newington, Northampton, Newmarket, Portsmouth, Rye, Seabrook, and Stratum. Those are the 13 towns that we lump together as a, as a market that we look at. Now, obviously, the main towns are not in that group, but... Uh, this podcast is not limited just to the 13 sample sequels. And we will not do that here in this podcast. <laughs> All over so, the world. Anybody can listen to this. Exactly. Right. Especially if people may have gotten uh, employment in the area and now they're stuck trying to find a place to live with their new job. Well, I think when uh, people are contemplating a move to the Seacoast, some people are looking for that sense of place that may be missing from uh, urban area from which they may live. And Kittery Point and Newcastle have that sense of place that you would expect in towns that were founded in 1647 and 1693. So almost 100 years before 1789, when George Washington came to Portsmouth and had just been sworn in as president. So these are old towns and they still there's still some older inventory standing there. Not much left on the inside of, of ancient structures. I don't think we need to get in there. But, um, you know, right off the bat, uh, it's kind of interesting that you wouldn't really know, sort of a fun fact of these towns, is that uh, weather-wise, they're 11 degrees cooler 
in the summertime about 11 degrees cooler than uh, than Portsmouth is uh, because they are so close to the uh, ocean and they get ocean breezes. So if you don't have air conditioning and you have a friend uh, over there, <laughs> that's a great place to cool off. They both have interesting amenities. Both uh, have a big golf course uh, right, uh, it's technically in Rye, but it's right across the river in Newcastle. And uh, Kittery Point ha- is about five minutes, 10 minutes away from the York Golf and Tennis Club. Both offer wonderful ocean access. They have excellent marinas, both in at the Wentworth in Newcastle and in Kittery Point. There are some iconic places to eat that you may have read about or Googled. I mean, you don't go to Kittery Point without going to the Chauncey Creek Lobster Pound. Or uh, you visit Warren's and Kittery. Uh, that's been there since the 1940s. Newcastle doesn't quite have that iconic, uh, those iconic places, but they do have uh, the Wentworth Hotel and uh, the Wentworth Marina, great places to, to chow down. Great uh, running places, aside from, you know, golf and uh, tennis and boating, both communities offer um, great places to run, bike, uh, walk the dog. When I think of Kittery Point, I also think of Sea uh, Point Beach, which is, that's a kind of a well-kept secret. It's not as uh, known as like York Beach and some of the other more public beaches are. And and yet it's isolated, it's beautiful, it's wild. And I, I can remember going there as a kid. It's sort of like a magical place. And Newcastle has the Newcastle Common and a wonderful beach near there. Very private again. Different views, different personality. At Sea Point, you could be sitting there watching ocean traffic going by. It has to go up the main coast, and you're watching it go up there. In Newcastle, if you're at the beach, you're looking at everything and anything that's going in and out of uh, Portsmouth Harbor. So a lot of interesting stuff there. Sean, your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, leave it up to you, John, to have the 11 degrees (laughs) stat on uh, the temperature difference between... Portsmouth yeah. and Newcastle. Can, uh, can you, you swim can in the summer that. there or is it too cold? Oh, no, can, you can absolutely swim can in the still, ocean okay. here in the It gets hot yeah. enough to, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, the temperature of the ocean will still be in the 60s. So, I mean, it's, it could feel chilly, but there's definitely times when it's hot enough come, you know, mid to late summer where it's very enjoyable to get in there when it's a hot day. But yeah, I mean, just like John said, there, the lifestyle, the active lifestyle that both of these communities bring you know, the secret's out. Everybody knows about it now. And that's why I think we're seeing such demand here uh, is because this is the lifestyle close to the ocean, active communities, great history here. John, is Fort Foster, that's in Kittery, right? That's in Kittery, great yeah. walking, dog walking area. Great spot to walk your dog. I love Fort Foster. I mean, and mm-hmm. then you get in Newcastle, Fort Constitution, correct? And also Fort yeah, Stark. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, you, right. you just have some really cool bits of history here Yep. Um, that, you know, guarded the the port back in the day. So, you know, they're just really, really interesting towns and how they operate across the water from each other historically. From a business standpoint, people are going to quickly point out, well, Newcastle is in New Hampshire and that's, uh, there's no income tax. And uh, and the tax rate in Newcastle is $6.19, you know, assessed thousand. So it's one of the lowest in the seacoast. So you're getting a fantastic break on your taxes, as opposed to moving to Maine, where you have the Maine income tax and the Kittery Point real estate tax is $13, as opposed to 
uh, 619. So it's almost double. But having said that, when you move to Maine, there's a, there's a quality of life there, a, a, an atmosphere. You can sort of feel yourself decompressing when you cross over uh, the bridge. So there, there are trade-offs there. But interestingly, in Newcastle, I think the, the median price of a home is like 1.3. And at Kittery Point, it was only 500. And yet there have been a little over 500. And yet there have been some heavy-duty sales in, uh, in Kittery Point. One that our office was involved with on Goodwin Road, uh, which is out on Garish Island, very wild area. That sold for 4.3, and we had another one that sold uh, in the fours, I believe, uh, on Pepper Cove. All right. Well, wow. So speaking of 2022, you know, everyone wants to know, what's going to happen? What should I do with the interest rates going up? And do you think that maybe inventory is going to be coming back to normal levels because more and more people are going to let people come through their homes because COVID is starting to, it seems like things are starting to get back to normal because we're recording this on February 21st, 2022. Uh, I'll probably publish this in a couple of days. So we're in the, you know, the end of February, 2022. What are your thoughts? What are people talking about for 2022? I maybe Sean has a different perspective on it than I do, because I, I, the media has asked me this question a lot, and I don't see things changing dramatically in the year ahead. I just think that the inventory situation is very tight, and I think that it's a, a it's going to be, I think, a function of pricing down the road that. There, there will come a time when the median sale price is too high for the market. That will slow things down, and the real estate market in general will slow down, probably starting from the top and trickling on down to the bottom, and eventually inventory will, will come back and, and take a while to, to sell. But I see that as the more as the uh, probable scenario. But you know, having said that, the uh, median price of a single-family home in the Boston area right now, I saw this in the Globe, was about eight fifty, And we're only at, you know, where we were at around six forty or something like that. So there's a lot of, there's, you know, when they, when they say that, you know, we're expensive here, well, if this could be eight fifty in Boston, it, it could be eight fifty here eventually. It could go up. It's a different market. So, no, you know, it's not, maybe we're not Boston, but there's room for, uh, let's just put it this way: There's room for um, upward mobility still in prices, so we haven't hit the we haven't hit the top by any means. So I don't see any change in the inventory situation as being imminent. Sean, what are you thinking? Echoing the the part of looking at Boston's median price versus here, I think there's tremendous value in our market for what they can get in Boston versus what they can get Good. here on the seacoast yeah. area. Yeah. Um, so when they see that value, especially now with people working from home more, a flexible work lifestyle, uh, that's a, a big selling point. Now they can have instead of an you know an apartment or a condo of only a thousand square feet, now they can have a yard uh, at you know at the same price point. So there's just incredible value there that I think they see. And you know we're seeing a lot of people come in from New York City. Um, I've seen California. So some of these states where prices are significantly higher, you can still get a lot of the lifestyle benefits that I think a lot of these areas offer at a lesser price point that is attractive to them. 
before the pandemic, if it's even possible to remember <laughs> that a few years ago now, wasn't spring the time when you would see all of the signs go up for sale, for sale, for sale? Mm-hmm. And, and what is the official spring date? When would you normally see a bunch of signs going up? We're getting out of this house. We're relocating or whatnot. April okay. and May. Yeah. And the phones are already ringing in our office anyway, for people who uh, want to interview realtors for listings down the road to hit the market in that time frame. So, so yes, maybe that, there might be some more inventory coming up in the spring and it might help normalize things a little bit. Maybe? No? Hmm. I, I don't think enough's <laughs> going to come on. I well, see. that's it. That's it. That's it. You know, I buyers see. are lining up for every listing. So it's, it's going to take a lot of supply to quell the demand right now. Yeah, What's your right. saddest story, Sean, of a, a nice young couple <laughs> for you? Yeah, I mean, we we put an offer in on a home last spring. And I mean, it was, again, it was a very competitive situation. And, you know, again, we just came down to the finalists and we had to put an escalation clause in, appraisal coverage. So it's tough because you've got to bring this news to them. Like, hey, yes, we put our best foot forward, but now we're still among three finalists here. What are we going to do to get our offer to the top? How badly do they want that home? And in, in a certain situation, you don't want to advise to waive everything on there, but it's up to them on how, how badly they want the home. Okay. So it, it's just, those could be tough conversations to have. And you just have to be open and, and transparent. There's always going to be another home that comes on the market. It's just a matter of when at this point. All right. Fun facts. John, give me a good fun fact about you. And Sean, I, I don't know much about you at all. So everything will be a fun fact for you from <laughs> you. So John, give me another fun. I know well, you were a DJ and a drill sergeant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got into the, during the, during the Vietnam War, way back, that's when I, way back when, I actually got into a drill sergeant unit. And so I was actually trained to, I had my smoky bear hat and was pushing troops around, uh, as a, as a drill sergeant. So that would be one, I don't know how much fun that was, but- uh, Were you mean, it, like you see on the movies? Well, well that you... was one of the problems that I had. You see, I'm, I'm, I look at myself as a nice person and the the uh, trainees would say, gee, Sergeant Rice, you're so nice. Oh, I'm not nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be almost impossible for you to be mean like that. I can't well, yeah, even right, imagine. Right. All right, Sean, what yeah, about right. you? We know you were a golf professional, but is there something more fun you would like to talk about about yourself? I mean, that one's pretty good. Uh, you know, one time I was part of a fundraiser. This probably isn't going to be as interesting as John Rice here, uh, but for you You're know, he's the most interesting man in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Get out of one here. time for a fundraiser uh, for a golf event, played. I want to say it was 141 holes of golf in one day. What? Yeah. Did you, have, you had a cart, right? Oh yeah, uh, someone there. So you know, the baseline was 100 holes. And then you, you raise more money, if, you know, the more above and beyond you go. And one gentleman actually walked 100 holes in a day. Wow. wow. Yeah. How much money did you raise? I think I raised, uh, it was about $20,000. What? Um, yeah. That was a pretty significant amazing. amount. Oh my. So, yeah. That was, you know, a fun event to do that every year. So, yeah. <laughs> definitely uh, had to take some Advil after that. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and you still golf regularly when weather permits, correct? Absolutely. You like to get out there. Yeah. And, okay. What do you do in the wintertime? I uh, love to ski. I mean, I grew up in northern New Hampshire, uh, ski racing and 10 minutes from the mountains. So it was easy enough just to have my gear and go up and go at any time of the day. That's so fantastic. yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun growing up up north and being so close to the ski areas. 
you know, fun fact about New Hampshire, Seacoast, and Southern Maine that people in the world around, because anybody in the world can listen to this podcast. What what should people know, good or bad? They may not, if on a closer inspection and on a map, they may not realize that our coast is only 23 miles long. That's, huh. whereas, you know, in, when you're in Maine, you, you go halfway up the coast of Maine and it's 2,000 miles. Right, I um, see. Even though it's not 2,000 as the crow flies mm-hmm. with all the eddies and so forth. Right. New Hampshire doesn't have all, it's just 23 miles. You can you can zip through our state pretty quickly. That is interesting, especially if someone from California or Florida where, yeah. you know, there's so much coast or anywhere around the world, actually. So, mm-hmm. so we've talked a lot of business in the last couple of episodes. We've talked a lot of the nitty gritty about the area. Uh, mm-hmm. Next episode, let's talk about recreation and recreation that doesn't involve water, where to get away from the seacoast. Because I can imagine in the summertime, it's probably very crowded. And you might mm-hmm. not want to be right there near the water. That'd be very interesting. Right. The, the great things that you can do in and around southern Maine and New Hampshire seacoast that doesn't involve water. <laughs> that sounds like right. fun. We can also focus in on what Sean likes and what I like. Oh, uh, absolutely. He, he, may, he might have some suggestions that will be much different than mine and vice versa. So yeah. Sean and John can discuss the things that they like to do. <laughs> and especially if you are coming from far away, you are, you know, you are relocating to this part of New England. You might not know what to do. So this will be a great episode for that. And in the meantime, have a wonderful spring. Thank you, Michelle. Keep that snow shovel handy. <laughs> All, right. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Seacoast Real Talk with John Rice. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are published quarterly. For help with your podcast, find Modcast Productions on the web at modcastproductions.com.